Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. And it's a special edition of the Three Martini Lunch. It's a crossover episode as we uh, bring on one of our other podcast hosts from the Radio America family. And that is Byron York, host of the Byron York Show, the No Chit Chat podcast. He's also chief political correspondent uh, for the Washington Examiner. Uh, So, Byron, welcome to the family. Today we're going to be talking uh, about the midterms. What do conservatives have going for us? What do conservatives not have going for us? And what could be some uh, wild cards uh, as we uh, get closer and closer to Election Day? Since we still have a little more than seven months, obviously a lot can happen. So, uh, gentlemen, let's dive right in with uh, things that conservatives have going well for them. First of all, the party out of power in the White House, so that's always a good thing in the midterms. But, uh, uh, Byron, let's start with you on this one. If it's a referendum on the president, things conservatives are doing well. Uh, What do you think they'd be smart to focus on and what do you think they just have naturally in their corner right now? Well, to um, to not get into the old uh, conservative Republican uh, category uh, question, uh, Republicans have just a huge number of things going for them. Uh, the midterms actually look very, very good for them uh, right now. Um, if you look at what's called the generic ballot, which is when pollsters ask, if the election were today, would you vote for the Democratic or the Republican candidate for uh, your uh, member of Congress? And Republicans have been leading that for a few months now, and they never, I mean, they never lead in that category, but they are now. Uh, President Biden's job approval rating, uh, I looked just a second ago, 41 in the Real Clear Politics average of polls. Um, Presidents usually lose seats in the House in their first midterms. Uh, If they're above 50%, according to Gallup, they lose maybe a dozen, maybe 14 seats. That would be bad enough for Democrats. If they're below 50%, they lose an average of 37 seats. This is going back, you know, 50 years of midterms. Um, So Democrats are in bad shape with Joe Biden at 41%. One last thing is that uh, going back 70 years, no president, zero, no president has substantially increased his job approval rating from about now in the midterm year through the midterm elections. So all of those kind of structural reasons, things look very good for Republicans. On the issues, uh, inflation especially, uh, people are very angry uh, at the president. Uh, They're blaming him, and that's very good for the party out of power. Jim, certainly a lot that Byron mentioned, all of which are are, are certainly critical factors here. Uh, trends historically, the president's uh, rating, uh, specific issues that matter a lot to people. Uh, you, you track this as, as much as anybody does. So uh, what do you think is going to be the most important positive factors uh, for conservatives this year? Well, Greg, before I get started, I want to welcome Byron to the podcast today. Uh, we overlapped a bit at the National Review Days, and it's always good to hear his voice. And yes, listeners, This is kind of like when Samuel L. Jackson appeared at the end of Iron Man, hinting that this was part of a larger universe. And in fact, you're going to see more and more crossovers of more conservative podcasts as we create the conservative podcast cinematic universe. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But nonetheless, it's good to have him here. And I don't want to, you know, repeat what Byron said. I think everything he said is uh, very well founded. Just kind of expanding on the, the point of the issue environment. God, it's just about as good as it can get if you want to play, if you if you're a challenger. If you're an incumbent, it's really tough. But because if you're a Republican incumbent, 
you can point out and say, look, we don't control the Senate. We don't control the House. We have all kinds of solutions. We have all kinds of policies we'd like to enact, but we can't. So don't blame me for the state of the country. Blame Biden. Blame the Democrats. And, you know, inflation is probably the big overarching one, but it manifests in all kinds of ways like gas prices. We've already seen people with those little stickers of Biden next to the uh, next to the price saying I did that food prices. Everybody's still seeing, you know, if you just want to start a conversation with with a random stranger, say, are you paying more at the grocery store? And my guess is you'll get a five minute tirade about how much they're paying and how much they notice it on different things. Um, at least as of this uh, th this recording, the supply chain issues, they're better. I, I, I would just say anecdotally, I'm seeing fewer items of empty shelves and stuff like that. But you're still seeing it here and there. It's not going to it's not completely fixed. And most people say uh, economists and people who specialize in this are saying it's not going to get resolved. I guess that's the other big aspect is that it's really hard to imagine a scenario where, where at this point in spring and November, these issues go away. That these issues suddenly get to, you know fully resolved uh in fact we're really at a time of year when guest demand is usually lower than usual summer is when you have the highest demand it's conceivable gas prices could go even higher um food prices all this kind of stuff all these things uh it was the fed chair powell said that he doesn't expect uh inflation to really get resolved for another two or three years like this could be a very big problem for Democrats as they head into the midterm. So they very, you know, the one area of success that they are likely to be pointing to is like, well, look, look at COVID-19. You know, people remember Biden's, I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus. And of course, he did not shut down the virus. We're now in a better place. A lot of that was some of that's vaccinations. A lot of that's the Omicron virus coming through in the winter and giving it to seemingly everybody. Um, by no, I, 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 we don't know exactly what the status of the pandemic is going to be come November. I don't think it'll be that bad. I think everybody's got some degree of either natural immunity or vaccine acquired immunity at this point. But as weather gets colder, people spend more time indoors. Maybe we will have another flare up or something like that. So that would be another point of Biden not keeping a promise. In, in the end, to, Biden won because he was you know, expected to restore normalcy. And people don't feel like it's normal. And even though usually foreign policy isn't a huge issue in midterm elections, uh, I think the debacle of the Afghanistan withdrawal really embarrassed Americans. I think it really uh, horrified them to see the images coming out of uh, Kabul. And we don't know exactly how the Russia-Ukraine uh, invasion is going to shake out between now and November. But I think it's another sense of uh, the world is unstable, the world is dangerous, and a general, at least so far the polling indicates people are not impressed with how Biden is handling this. So you add all this up, um, it's about as bad as it gets for, for incumbent Democrats. And I think you're going to see something yeah, conceivably 2020, 2010, 2014, or perhaps even bigger, depending on how the what the state of the country is. Two yeah. more uh, issues, uh, if I could, that, sure. that are just also bad. Um, one is crime, which really mm. has a lot of people very, very worried. It's the most public safety is the most fundamental issue uh, there is. Uh, in many places. And the other, especially for Republicans, is the border, the, the absolute mess on the border, which is one of those kind of rare problems that you can kind of 100% lay at Biden's feet. Um, in, in any t at any time, the incumbent president can say, well, I was, I was handed this problem. I, uh, I inherited this problem. Uh, but with, with the border, Biden has pretty much made this problem all his own. So you have a couple of those. And if you look at the polls, if you can combine all the issues that Jim mentioned and the ones that I've mentioned, you look at the polls, they've uh, all the pollsters have asked people, uh, which uh, party do you trust most to handle 
issue X, issue Y. Uh, and um, Republicans have a lead in all of these issues, sometimes a huge 15 to 20 point lead. Democrats do still have a lead when you say, which party you trust to provide health care. Uh, they do have that. They've lost a lot of their lead on education, by the way, uh, for wanting to keep schools closed for forever and ever. Um, so the, even some of their own issues are not looking as good for them as they used to, and they're just way behind in all the issues, almost all the issues that Americans say are most important right now. Yeah, there's been a big shift on those issues. Uh, there was one out a few days ago from Rasmussen Reports suggesting that uh, even among uh, parents on education right now, Republicans are trusted more. Um, and they, they usually are, yeah. are kind of an outlier to the right. But uh, uh, the gap, that used to be a huge gap uh, on education. And so uh, from, from masking to critical race theory, whatever's in the curriculum. A lot of these fights are clearly uh, heading in the Republicans' uh, favor. And school choice is a winner issue. They haven't emphasized it a lot, but it's it's a winning issue. And crime, of course, uh, is a big one, too. Uh, and then just demographically, we've talked about how Hispanics are now plus nine for Republicans. If that's accurate, it's going to be a big year. Uh, for Republicans. So uh, we'll get to some of the potential stumbling blocks in just a moment. But uh, in the meantime, uh, whether you're a Republican or a Democratic consultant, go ahead and get a nap in. You still got seven months to go here, but you are going to have to uh, uh, work hard over the, the remaining seven months. But in the meantime, you want to take that nap on my pillow pillows, my pillow sheets, uh, mattress toppers, but don't forget also about the fantastic my pillow towels. Uh, they are soft, they're fluffy, they get you dry super quickly. And right now, as we've been saying, they are on a fantastic discount. The six-piece towel set, regularly $109.99, now just $39.99 a set. The my pillow six-piece towel set is made from cotton grown right here in the United States. Now, some other towels might feel good, but they don't absorb very well, or they might absorb well, but they don't feel very good. They might have that lotion-y feel. Well, every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee as well as a one-year limited warranty. For a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set, regularly $109.99 for just $39.99 with the promo code MARTINI. Visit MyPillow.com slash MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99 today at MyPillow.com slash MARTINI. Or call 800-874-0104. MyPillow.com slash martini. All right, Jim, Byron, let's move on to our bad martini. And those are the things that might not go well or perhaps don't portend well for conservatives in this year's midterm elections. And it's absolutely critical for conservatives to do well, given the agenda of this Biden administration. And the ones I'll, I'll throw out to you, starting with you, Jim, first, uh, are just uh, the map on the Senate side. I feel like it's kind of like 2018 in reverse, where 2018, the momentum was with the Democrats in general, but the seats that were open favored the Republicans, particularly in the wake of Brad Kavanaugh. And I think that's kind of the way it's working uh, for Democrats this year. So it's, I think it's going to be a lot harder to win back the Senate. And then on the House side, while I think uh, it's highly likely the Republicans will take back the House, it feels like the Democrats have been more aggressive in gerrymandering where they've had the opportunity to do it. So uh, whether it's those areas or, or, or somewhere else, what do you see as the uh, potential pitfalls for conservatives? Well, well, Greg, you're right. I think uh, heading into this redistricting cycle, 
you couldn't throw a stone without hitting a liberal columnist shrieking that redistricting was going to turn into this massive advantage for Republicans and they were going to steal. This was so unfair because gerrymandering was invented by the Republicans very recently. It certainly never <laughs> happened before in any previous state like New York or California or Illinois or any place like that. Uh, no, you know, in fact, by the time, you know, as, as of this recording, almost all the redistricting process is done. I'm sure some people are going to file lawsuits here and there. But by and large, most people think it's going to help the Democrats and help them, you know, maybe five or six more seats that ordinarily would have gone for Republicans under the old lines probably could go Democratic. Considering all the advantages we talked about in a few moments ago, it's probably not going to be enough to save the Democrats. They already have a razor thin House Democratic majority. I think if you ask me, what's not going right for conservatives or more, maybe more specifically the Republican Party. I think candidate recruitment has been a mixed bag. Um, it, it's certainly, I, I still think they're in, in terrific shape overall, but um, you know, a couple of places, you know, probably most the one that jumps out is Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, not choosing to run against Maggie Hassan. Um, Doug Ducey wasn't run. I didn't expect him to run in Arizona, but certainly he would have made a great challenger against Mark Kelly. Uh, Larry Hogan, again, I guess he wants to run for president. I don't see that working out very well for him, but uh, he would have instantly become a top tier uh, Senate challenger in Maryland. None of them chose, you know, this This is kind of just, um, would have been nice to have for the Republican Governors Association. Uh, I also think there's, you know, we don't know how, as of this recording, we don't know how a bunch of these Republican Senate primaries are going to shake out. Um, I think most of the, the Ohio one has just turned into this demolition derby. Um, I think you're going to see a big fight between McCormick and Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Um, there are some Republicans who are nervous about Herschel Walker, but let me tell you, you know, anytime there's an obstacle in front of Herschel Walker, he just runs it, runs into him or <laughs> runs around him, you know, on the football field, but primarily also, I imagine, in, as, a can, as a candidate as well. I think if you add it up, it's, it's, not a, it's certainly not a bad cycle for candidate recruitment for Republicans. But I just think back to listening to the you know, National Republican Congressional Committee back in 2010 when the country was just kind of reacting to Obamacare and, and what the Democrats were doing. And they just had a cornucopia, just this overflowing, you know, fountain of good candidates of, you know, successful businessmen, veterans, um, people who had, you know, just, just had sterling resumes, generally outsiders. Uh, that was the year Ron Johnson came out of nowhere and uh, won the Senate seat in Wisconsin. So I feel like there was a, you know, like that may have been the apex for candidate recruitment for Republicans. I wonder if Washington politics being such a, a circus over the last couple of years makes certain people who might be interested in running for office or running for Senate someday decide, you know what, I want to do something different with my life. This is this is ridiculous. None of these guys look like they're getting anything done. I don't want to go to the Senate to just vote on judges for the rest of my life. So I, I think that could have gone better for Republicans. But by and large, you'd still be feeling really good about their chances come November. Yeah, one more I'll throw out there is Eric Greitens. He's leading the primary, at least according to the most recent polls, but uh, given the most recent allegations and how he matches up against the Democrats compared to the other uh, viable uh, conservative candidates, I think uh, Republican voters there kind of had a duty to go in a different direction. But Byron, what do you see as uh, uh, the pitfalls, whether it's changing headlines or, or, or the things Jim mentioned with candidate recruitment and the map and, and anything else? Well, I mean, the one thing you always have to worry about is that there'll be just some huge event that you couldn't predict uh, that happens. Uh, and a lot of times, actually, if, if something like that does happen, people look to the White House for leadership. Uh, it's possible something like that could happen if we if we had been talking, um, you know, in December of 2019, as the Donald Trump first impeachment was going, uh, it would have been hard to predict 
that the next two years would be about uh, a virus. So um, there, you know, there are things that you just can't predict. On the uh, candidate quality thing, I think that you, it's almost like a candidate quality slash Donald Trump question, uh, because one, um, Republicans have open seats, what, in Pennsylvania, they have that Ohio seat that uh, Jim mentioned, uh, the Missouri seat, which should be t totally in the bag, but you do have this problem with uh, Gridens. And <clears throat> if, if you do have a couple of bad candidates come up, uh, it could be like 2010 when Republicans had a chance to win control of the Senate and they had a couple of really bad candidates who, who cost them um, the Senate. Then as far as Trump is concerned, uh, in a lot of places, he is a very positive factor for Republicans, really gets them fired up. Uh, but his his um, desire to, to sort of meddle in a lot of Senate campaigns and House campaigns uh, can backfire. We've just seen this kind of crazy thing happen in uh, Alabama, where he had endorsed um, Mo Brooks. And then uh, now he's pulled away from Mo Brooks, said that Brooks made a horrible mistake by suggesting that people should just move on from the 2020 election. So now he's against Mo Brooks. So then now Mo Brooks is saying that Donald Trump tried to get Congress to reinstate him as president. I mean, just, so it's just going to turn into this big mess. Um, and you, you don't think Republicans could screw up Alabama Senate seat again. But again I don't think they yeah. can. Maybe they could try. I don't know. So you do have a factor there, which which is kind of a distraction factor. Uh, but um, I would say it actually looks reasonably good, given the Senate is 50-50 right now, uh, for Republicans to pick that up, too. But I would totally agree that the House is what looks really, really good. Yeah, it would seem to be. I mean, the House is usually the one that uh, has the biggest swings, uh, obviously, with, with so many more seats uh, available. And uh, with just the, the tidal wave of, of momentum and dissatisfaction with this administration and with what the Democrats were doing, I mean, uh, as we've said so many times, uh, Biden was elected by a pretty slim margin over the four states that really made a big difference on Election Day. And uh, somehow they they interpreted that as a mandate to go uh, hardcore Green New Deal and uh, big spending and all sorts of other things. So. Fascinating to watch how this all plays out. And in a minute, we're going to talk about uh, things that might even be more unexpected uh, than a pandemic. All right, let's talk about, uh, in our final moments here, guys, uh, what we can expect. Uh, we're here on Three Martini Lunch, special crossover edition. I'm Greg Corumbus with Jim Garrity and, and Byron York. Byron hosts the Byron York Show, the No Chit Chat podcast, one of the one of the newer uh, selections here on the Radio America podcast family. And um, the wild card. Byron, you mentioned uh, who could have seen a pandemic coming. I think 2008, just when John McCain was starting to close the gap on Barack Obama, we got a financial crisis in the middle of September, and that was pretty much the, the nail in his coffin, if he even really had a chance anyway. Um, so um, what do you see as potentially um, really shaking things up? Is it uh, going to be some fringe candidate making an insane statement? Think maybe Todd Aiken style 2012, and then that gets plastered over every uh, Republican candidate across the country? Will it uh, be Democrats trying to go moderate? I know Chuck Schumer had some sort of moderate agenda where he tried to paper over what they had done over the first 12 months, but then they, they kind of got back to a more radical agenda now. So um, what, what kind of strategies do you see out there uh, that, that could play a factor here? Uh, Byron, well, Byron, go ahead. What I see is, is not 
specifically about the midterms, but about the state of the Democratic Party. And it is not a surprise. It is the most obvious, predictable issue in the world, and it's going to give them fits, which is Joe Biden is the oldest president ever uh, in U.S. history. He will be 82 years old at the end of his term. Uh, he says he's going to run again. A lot of people do not believe that. It has set off all sorts of intrigue already inside the Democratic Party. His obvious successor, should he choose not to run again, would be the vice president, Kamala Harris. Um, a lot of people, she's, she's not really impressed, I think, anybody with her performance in the job. There are Democrats who are going to want to uh, get around her and try to maneuver themselves into a position for running in 2024 if Biden does not run. So this is Biden's, you know, slowdown uh, and his age. Again, the most obvious, well-known issue in the world. Uh, Democrats chose to elect him or to choose, choose to nominate him and the, the, the public elected him in 2020. But it is a problem that's going to increase in uh, intensity and in its profile every day between now and the 2024 election, and that includes during the midterms. Very interesting. Jim, what's uh, what's got you most intrigued uh, heading into the final few months here? Well, I thought about putting Trump in my list of drawbacks or challenges or headwinds for the Republican Party. I, I think he probably is better characterized as a wild card, but a wild card with a significant downside. And, and the great irony, you know, as, as Byron said earlier, you know, at times, Trump, had, you know, particularly because of this kind of issue environment, his general stances, Trump can be a great asset to the Republican Party. He can also be this giant millstone around their necks, particularly when he starts obsessing about the 2020 election. And every signal we have seen since Election Day 2020 is that Donald Trump believes there's one preeminent issue that is more important than all others and that he focuses on almost exclusively or very heavily. And that is the 2020 election and his, you know, nutty insistence that the election was stolen from him, that he's the true winner, that it was Venezuelan hackers, that it was, you know, uh, bamboo rice paper in the Arizona ballots and, and every other nutty conspiracy theory that's come along. And Trump, you know, nullifies whatever advantages, he, you know, provides to the party when he goes off on these, these rants. Um, and then the question is, you know, what, it's very hard to imagine a scenario where Donald Trump remains quiet between now and November, which means he's going to talk. Now, if he talked about what a bad job Biden's doing, if he talked about what a bad, how badly uh, Biden has screwed up energy policy and how we're not doing enough to drill and develop our own energy resources, if he talked about inflation, if he talked about um, how the uh, mask mandates and vaccination mandates had uh, affected truckers and trains and all kinds of other parts of this, if he talked about tax proposals, if he talked about uh, nutty, you know, clean energy proposals that are never going to pay off, all this kind of stuff. Trump could be an extremely effective messenger for the Republican Party. But I think it's safe to say he's not that interested in that. So I think, you know, he's an unknown factor. We don't know exactly what's going to be. It's, he's going to have some effect. And my suspect is it'll generally um, be a headwind for Republicans. The other thing is, look, you know, for a couple of months, people are like, well, you know, you know, Russia's putting a lot of troops around Ukraine, oh, you know, and it took a while before people kind of realized, well, this is a real thing. This isn't just saber rattling. This isn't just a feint uh, in order to try to score some quick, easy concessions. Putin really wants to do this. And lo and behold, now we're dealing with a you know Russian invasion of Ukraine. A lot of us thought, well, when that happens, God, what happens if you know China decides to go after Taiwan? Maybe the you know difficulties Russia has experienced is dissuading China from making a move like that. But I think, you know, both the pandemic and, and the Russian invasion are good examples of how 
you know, what goes on in this world can change very quickly and with, you know, what seems like very little warning. So I don't know what China is going to do between now and Election Day. I don't think they're necessarily going to invade Taiwan. I think they seem comfortable with their usual flyovers and, you know, aggressive rhetoric and, you know, crazy stuff coming out of their state media and stuff like that. Um, but I think China is a giant, you know, giant question mark, a, a giant uh, X factor that could make life very difficult for the Biden administration and for Americans in general. I think the decoupling of the U.S. and China is now kind of set in stone, just a question of how it happens and at what speed. And if China decides to, you know, mess with America, um, that could be very bad. I think also the other things, you know, some other threat from foreign, uh, far abroad. You know, what happens if Russian hackers decide to go after our pipelines like they did uh, last year? There's all kinds of ways in which they, you know, terrorist attacks. I mean, something from overseas could end up becoming yet another problem on a already very full plate for the country. So those are the things I think of that could be the most, you know, the biggest um, unexpected new factors between now and November. Let me throw a couple others out there that could uh, stir the pot a little bit. First of all, you know Democrats, particularly with the expectation that they're going to get their clocks clean this year, are going to be talking about, once again, if there is a Republican landslide, that democracy itself is at stake and it's eroded and it's these states that have changed their laws, that have uh, you know disenfranchised people. So get ready for that tired rhetoric again. The question is, Who's going to buy it? I feel like the American people are tired of that. They don't believe it, uh, as you can see in the polls, as it's related to voter ID at the polls and so forth. And the other thing I think it might play a factor is the, uh, whatever the Supreme Court decides on the abortion case. If it is a gutting of, of Roe v. Wade, the Democrats will obviously have their hair on fire about needing to elect people to do that. But I think most people are already kind of got their feet in, planted pretty well with where they are on abortion. And the people who don't, I'm not sure that's going to be the issue that drives them to the polls when um, you know, the gas prices and the grocery prices are what they are. So I don't know what you guys think about those, but uh, I, I think they could be at least talked about a lot, if not make much of a difference. Yeah. One of the first things I, I think is an interesting measuring effect was the Texas has already had its primary and they passed their abortion law, which, you know, uh, pro-choice just thought was, was the end of the world, an absolute disaster, and pro-lifers generally liked. It was not a big factor in the advertising in the primaries in down in Texas. Uh, doesn't mean it won't be a factor in the elections throughout this year, but I thought that was an interesting indicator that maybe it's not this all-consuming issue that advocates on, you know, both pro-choicers and some pro-lifers may think it is. Yeah. The other thing is, um, when we talk about the issue that people care most about, Right now, it is inflation, which is a subset of the issue that people always care the most about, which is the economy. Um, so I think that the possibility of that changing is pretty low. It was a recent Wall Street Journal poll that asked, uh, what's the, the single most important issue uh, that you would like to see the president and Congress focus on? And 25% said the war in Ukraine, which is important, uh, 50% said inflation, by far the, the largest uh, concern of the voters. And, and the, the idea that the economy is not going to be um, the largest concern of the voters is probably, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> Let's just say that's just not going to happen. Uh, inflation, listening to Jerome Powell uh, just gives you the idea. And he, he talked about you know, how wrong the Fed had been in dealing with inflation, then suggesting that, well, maybe they've figured it out now, and then saying that he expects their actions to, to work uh, within three years. So I think the idea of inflation going away or easing a lot by midterm times is just completely 
unrealistic. So I, I just think that the issue set, uh, even if we have some unforeseen events, uh, will favor Republicans this fall. Yeah, I'll be curious to see if prices ease a little bit. So gas prices, you know, go south of four dollars a gallon. Is is, is this going to be some sort of great achievement when they were two dollars uh, when when he took office? Because it's technically headed in the right direction. I don't think he's going to get away with that because since Afghanistan, nothing's really worked in his favor. In the midterms, on some level, are a referendum on the president. Personally, I'm looking forward to his next excuse for the inflation. First, it was transitory. Then it was good because the economy is so strong. Now it's Putin. So I don't know if it'll still be Putin come November, but uh, I'm sure I'll have some explanation that won't make any sense. Anyway, gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for a great discussion. Byron, real quick, what can folks expect when they uh, check out the Byron York Show? Well, you know, um, you, you know these podcasts that cover sort of all the news of the day, sort of everything you need to know about the news of the day. This is not it. Uh, I try to pick something that I think is is really, really important. For example, the other day, I focused on um, on that speech that the head of the Fed had given. I didn't think a lot of people had given enough attention to this f- fact that he just dropped in and it was going to be three years yeah. before inflation gets really better. Um, so trying to trying to dig into one thing and the other uh, the other thing about the podcast is it's not too long. It will not take all day for you to listen to. Generally, about fifteen to twenty minutes in length. Hopefully, time enough to you know, learn something about an issue we're looking at. Excellent. You know, it's those podcasts that go about 20 minutes that I think people really, really love, and they should definitely check them out. So there you go. That's where Three Martini Lunch and, and uh, the Byron New York Show are certainly have in common. So given the fact that they're so short, hopefully that means uh, you have time to listen to both of them. So Byron, thanks for your time today, and uh, we'll look forward to crossing over uh, one way or the other sometime soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Jim, any last word? Nope. Uh, you know, I was going to say there's been this odd pattern for the last, you know, 12 years or so. If you're on the right side of the spectrum, a whole bunch of presidential elections have not gone our way. But man, the midterms are fun. <laughs> Other than 2018. <laughs> yeah, that was not a good one. Anyway, gentlemen, thank you so much. Byron York, again, uh, host of the Byron York Show, the No Chit Chat podcast, also also the chief political correspondent for the Washington Examiner. Uh, Also, thank you so much for listening to the Three Martini Lunch podcast for today. Uh, Remember to subscribe if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Byron is at Byron York. Jim is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday and please join us again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. The mainstream media shies away from the simple questions with hard answers that we all need to hear. I'm Byron York from the Byron York Show. Every day on the No Chit Chat podcast, I bring you the reality of what's going on in our government and around the country with no extra fluff. In my latest episodes, I lay out the blunt facts of what's going on in the District of Columbia, the way the media is misleading the public and plans that political parties are making. Concise, comprehensible news is what America needs and deserves. I'm here to deliver. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.